thank you guys. Well, I want to thank all of you for taking part in our worship this morning. Thank you so much uh, for being involved in worship. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to look at verse 11 through 17. And then we'll go to the book of Isaiah. A little later on, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And I want to share with you this morning about spiritual war. God, Satan, and you. Spiritual war. God, Satan, and you. Taken from Ezekiel chapter 28. Verse 11 through 17. Ezekiel 28. I'm going to be, this morning I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, the NIV Version. I believe uh, when I looked at three or four different versions, this seemed to be a little more powerful. Ezekiel 28, look at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says, You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, Sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. And so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, and I made a spectacle of you before kings. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to open your word and I pray, Lord, that you would teach us this morning about this spiritual war that involves you and Satan and us. Father, I pray that you would protect us from the evil one. As I begin to share your word and what your word says about him. And Father, help us to learn about our part in all of this. Help us to not be ignorant in the things that are so serious. Give me the words to say, the power to say them in, the right spirit to say them in, 
the freedom to preach, and your protection over this place. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The day that we accepted Jesus Christ, a lot of amazing things happened in our lives. Jesus came into our lives. We received eternal life. We were empowered to live a new life, a new kind of life. And we began to love and care for people. We began to love and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But soon we realized that something else was happening to us. We began to struggle with those things that we knew we were expected to do. For instance, reading our Bibles, praying, all of those things, spiritual disciplines, gradually became harder for us to do. We often seemed too tired and too busy and too distracted to spend quality time with God. And the ideal of sharing our faith made us uneasy and uncomfortable. Prior, we were sharing it with everybody. And we made commitments to do better. We always somehow just kept coming up short, falling short of that. So the question is, why do we have these struggles? Why do our lives feel like a war zone? Why do we wake up each morning thinking perhaps it's just another new battle that we have this day? You see, the truth of the matter, as believers, we're in the middle of a spiritual war. And this war is between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, and we're in the middle. There are no guns, there are no bullets, but it's a life-and-death struggle that affects us all, believers and non-believers. Now, you may find it hard to believe but this war can cause horrible destruction in our lives. However, although the war rages around us every day, we don't seem to be afraid and we don't need to be afraid because we know that God is with us. As a child of God, let me just um, remind you that God is going to protect us. He's going to equip us. He's going to equip us to personally experience this great victory which has already been won for us through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This past July the 2nd, Joel Bradley sent me a word of encouragement. It's a quote from Dr. David Jeremiah. It should be on the screen. The quote is, We're not fighting for victory, but from victory. And this changes everything. See that? Thank you, Joel. We're not fighting for victory, but we're fighting from victory. We've already won. Christ is the victor. We're victors. Satan has been doomed. We're waiting for that day. So we're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from victory. However, we need to know who the enemy is. You know who the enemy is? You say, well, that's Satan. Well, what do you mean by that? How would you describe Satan? 
Do you know anything about Satan? If he's our chief enemy, and he is, do you know anything about Satan? You see, before you win a war, you must know your enemy. You know, we're told that uh, the Pentagon now is, is studies all of our enemies, those that are against the United States. They're studying about ISIS. They're studying about the Taliban. They're studying about, they're studying about the left-wing groups. They're studying about the right-wing groups. My brother-in-law sent me some material this past week on a book that he was reading and sent the book to me. It was, uh, it was the book of Antifa, their guidebook. It's interesting. They better keep their eyes on Antifa. You better keep your eyes on Antifa. If we're going to continue to meet like we're meeting today, you better be aware of who Antifa is. The point is, we better know our chief enemy, and that person's name is Satan. The Bible teaches that we're involved in a major spiritual war, and the war is between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, and we're in the middle. Now, to understand the war, you have to understand more about this real mysterious character by the name of Satan. Where did he come from? Why is he so powerful? What led him to start a war with God? Well, first of all, if you're taking notes, I believe the first number on your outline is, what is Satan like? Now, as a way of introduction, most scholars believe that Ezekiel 28, 1 through 11 depicts not only the destruction of an earthly, the earthly prince of Tyre, but also behind this great kingdom of Tyre, behind the great commercial center Tyre, behind this great political a kingdom tower, we're going to find the one who apparently controls all kingdoms of this world, and his name is Satan. And so you have the prince of Tyre, you'll find, I believe, in the King James, New King James in verse 1, but then he talks about the king of Tyre, and that's the one who has power over the prince of Tyre, who has power over that kingdom, not only that kingdom, but all the kingdoms of the world, Satan. Now remember, Satan offered the kingdoms of the world to Jesus during his temptation on the Mount of Temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 and 7, you won't have this scripture. I thought of it before I came in here. But listen to this. The devil led him, speaking of Jesus, up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give you all of their authority and the splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone, and I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord God, serve him only. Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world. But the Lord rejected his offer because he didn't recognize Satan as the rightful owner of those nations. And so today, Satan is still the prince and the power of the air. Don't think that he's not. He's in the back of all the kingdoms of the world. So God has given a message to Ezekiel about this godless king in the Old Testament. And the king is actually an evil power who controls the prince of Tyre. Now, verse 12, Ezekiel chapter 28, look what uh, verse 12 says. Son of man, take up a lament. 
concerning the king of Tyre, say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Take up a lament. The word lament there means a funeral song. You've been to funerals? Sometimes they sing happy songs. Sometimes they sing songs of lament. Sad songs. People say, I don't want any sad songs at my funeral. That's lament songs. There are lament funeral songs, heart-rendering songs, sad songs. So the ideal here is the ideal of someone crying and sobbing because it coming from the grief of a broken heart. You know who that is? It's God's heart. This great creation of His known as Lucifer, known as Satan, has broken His heart for what He's done. Satan has broken the heart of God. Now, how did that happen? Well, we have to go back to the beginning of Satan. Most people think that Satan, you know, is kind of ugly and, and an evil creature, and he, he is. Don't get me wrong, but they have a misconception of Satan that he's dressed in a red suit and he has horns and a pitchfork uh, in his hand and maybe a forked tail, but that's the furthest from the truth. So what is Satan like? According to your outline, I'm going to give you some qualities of Satan. You'll have to jot these down. The qualities of Satan. First of all, he's a model of perfection. Satan is a model of perfection. He could not be improved upon. You know, he was so perfect that all the other angels could be modeled after him. He was the most perfect of them all. You know, when automobile companies build a new car... They have, these, um, they have these trial models. They have a prototype. And then they'll have another prototype, another prototype. Then they have, they have the final prototype. It's, I mean, it's the best of the best. Have you ever had a lemon? That's the opposite of a lemon. I've had a lemon. <laughs> yeah, I have. But we're talking prototype. I mean, they take this, this automobile... And eventually they build this perfect prototype and then they mass produce others, all these thousands and thousands and thousands of cars from this one car. The point is Satan was as perfect. He was a perfect prototype angel. The ultimate of God's creation and there was none greater except God himself. He was at the top. Picture this. And so the second quality, he was the greatest. The second quality, Satan was full of wisdom. Verse 12, he said, Son, he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The word of the Lord came to me. Verse 12, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre. This is what the sovereign Lord said. Your model perfection, full of wisdom. He was full of wisdom. Satan was created to be the wisest of all of God's creation. Think of that. Full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. Th think of a cup of water. Think of a cup of water. Fill that water to the brim. Take one drop of water, let it fall in that cup, and it runs over. You know why? It's full of water. Full of water. Satan was that full. Nothing more could be added to Satan. He was full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. He was this, he was so wise. Satan was filled to capacity with all the wisdom he would ever need to be God's most important angel. 
And so you had a perfect angel. You had one that was full of wisdom. And the third, you, he was perfect in his beauty. Perfect in his beauty. Look at verse 12. He says, you were a model of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. The point is, he was the most beautiful of all God's creation. He was that beautiful. Here's the point. Except for God, there has never been anyone more beautiful than Satan. Beautiful. He was, he was, he was the best dressed. He was really the best dressed. If you would look at verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, beryl, your he, he had all of this glitter about him. He sparkled with this incredible brilliance. He's beautiful. Point to remember, Lucifer means light from heaven or shining one. People say, I saw a light at, you know, I died. I have people say, well, you know, Brother Sammy, I died and there was, a, there was a light, but I never got to that light. You better know what light that was. You think that's God? Could have been Lucifer. He was beautiful, glorious. Another quality, he was, he was like a beautiful instrument. Uh, I thought this was interesting. The King James says, your settings, your mountings. It's also translated to be tambourines and flutes. You're, he, he's, he's like a beautiful instrument. Verse 13, he says, Sapphire, turquoise, bearer, your settings and mountings were made of gold. Like a beautiful instrument. On the day you were created, they were prepared. The summary is this. Satan was the most wise, the most beautiful being that had ever been created. His appearance was dazzling and magnificent. He was a walking advertisement for the awesomeness of God. And nothing else in God's creation could compare to him. That's Satan. What's Satan like? The qualities of Satan. But secondly, if you take a note, it's the authority of Satan. God not only created him to be awesome in appearance, but he gave him authority. Satan first was appointed as the high-ranking angel. Verse 14, you were anointed as the guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. King James says you were the guardian cherub. And as you study the Bible, you'll find that cherubs seem to have had the special task of protecting or ruling over part of God's creation. Way back in Genesis, you won't find it on the screen, but in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, listen to what he says. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned and God drove them out of the garden, says this, after he drove man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Satan was the, he was the ordained chief cherubim. The point is, Satan was given the power and authority to rule over and to protect whatever God put in his control. He had that much power. 
So he was a high-ranking angel. And then he, had, he, he was able to come face-to-face -face with God. Verse 14, notice what he said in verse 14. You were anointed. You were on the holy mount of God. You were on the holy mountain of God. Satan was at the ultimate place, the holy mountain of God where God ruled. There was Satan there with God. The point is for Satan to be in the, this place means that he had honor, means he had authority. He could be where God ruled. God asked no questions. He was perhaps God's prime minister. Some have said of all of his creation, his go-to person. So who is Satan? Qualities, model perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, beautiful musical instrument. His authority, appointed as the high-ranking angel, and then face-to-face -face access to God. But why did he rebel against God? Look, if you will, at verse 15. You are blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your, widespread, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. Satan began to think, well, let me, let me finish reading down to verse, uh, so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, back at verse 16. I expelled you, O garden cherub, uh, from among the fire stones. Your heart became proud. That's key. Verse 17. On account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So why did he rebel against God? Satan began to think that all of his greatness came from himself. It didn't come from God. You ever thought a lot of yourself? You ever thought that you were kind of the number one person around? Maybe at the job or, or wherever it might be. Satan felt this way. He felt... he. He no longer wanted to submit to God's authority. I'm it. I can make my own decisions. Dwight Pentecost, in a book entitled, Your Adversary the Devil, he said this. He said, more than likely, in his pride, he responded as this. One as wise as I am ought to be God. One as beautiful as I am ought to be worshipped and not worship another. That's how he felt. He was prideful. And at that point, Satan rebelled against God, started a terrible rebellion. Now, why did he rebel? Because of pride. Now, what plan did he have to carry out this rebellion? If you will, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12, uh, Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 through 14. Now, he's going to have a plan. And just kind of as a side note, in parentheses, by his plan, you can list, um, uh, you can list five steps of I wills. His five, stepped, five steps of I will. We're going to go with those real quick. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Look at it. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn, You've been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Here's the first I will. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly 
on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what he wanted. That's what his desire was. See, from eternity past until the fall of Satan, there's only been one will. That's the will of God. The entire creation was created to work around, to work in perfect harmony as long as it's submitted to the will of God. As long as the world and the creation of God would submit to the will of God, everything worked in perfect harmony. However, Satan put another will into, into the creation when he rebelled. He chose to operate not from God's will, but from His own will. Have you ever done that? Can you kind of see this happening in your life? I have. I mean, I've seen it happen in my life before where, where I wanted to do my thing, my own will, instead of God's will, being honest. So Satan introduced another will into creation when he rebelled. He chose to operate from his own will. And as you read Isaiah 14, 13 through 14, you'll notice Satan's desire is to have more and more and more power and just kindly push God out of his life. Happens all the time, every day. Someone does that. So what plan did he have? Let's look at these five wills real quick. Five wills of Satan, verse 13. I will ascend into heaven. Well, Satan wanted to move God right off the throne. He wanted to occupy the throne. I mean, he wanted to occupy the throne that was, that was rightfully God's. But he wanted that throne. I will ascend to heaven. He wanted to kindly storm heaven and take it as his own kingdom. I will ascend to heaven. First I will. Second I will. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, the stars mentioned here at this time and in the Old Testament refer to angels. You can find this in Job 38, 4 through 7. So God had given him control of the angels, and now he wants to take the angels as his own. He wanted them to worship him, and he wanted them to join him in this rebellion. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 12, 4, that one-third of the angels did that. And they followed Satan in rebellion. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And then three, number three, I will sit on the mount of the congregation. The King James says, I'll be enthroned. So Satan wanted to set as a ruler authority over all of creation. King James uses the word assembly over all creation. It means creation. The point is, he wanted to sit on God's throne, rule over all of creation in heaven and on earth. You see a coup happening here. Verse 14, Isaiah 14. Verse 14 says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
Many times in the Old Testament, God appeared to people in clouds. And uh, they were evidence of, of the beauty and the glory of God. You have that in Exodus 16, verse 10, 1 Kings 8, verse 10, Matthew 24, verse 30. Satan now wants to rise above the heights of the clouds. He wants all of God's glory. I want to rise above the glory of God. I want it all. Then number five, I will be like the most high. That simply means I will be my own God. This is the most tragic of all the five. He thought he could be like God. There's a teaching even in our world today of a cult that teaches that you can be a little God and you can be your own God. Friend, let me tell you, there's only one God. Almighty God. He thought he could be like God. He wanted to answer to no one but to himself. So who is Satan? The qualities, his authority. Why did he rebel? Because of pride. He had this plan, this five I will plan. But then as I close, what did God do about Satan's rebellion? Go back, if you will, to Ezekiel 28. Look at verse 16. What did God do? Verse 16 says, Though, says, So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on your account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Satan was full of pride. He was rebellious. He rejected the will of God. He was arrogant. He developed this new belief. Independence from God is better than dependence on God. How do you feel about that? You believe that? Do you have a belief that it's better to be independent from God than dependent on God? Satan believed that. What did God do? He stripped him from his authority. Ezekiel 28, verse 16. He left in disgrace. Then he removed him as that anointed cherub. And God being so holy, God could not tolerate rebellion and evil in his kingdom. So verse 16, he cast him out of heaven. Some say he kicked him out. Uh, about the same thing, I guess. He cast him out of heaven. New King James says, cast you as a profane thing. NIV says, I threw you to the earth. NIV Isaiah 14 verse 12, you have been cast down to the earth. 28 verse 17, so I threw you to the earth. The point is the great battle between God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom, began in heaven, but much of the battle right now is being fought on earth. 